the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 238. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Ray. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of December 17th through December 30th. As you can hear, my voice is kind of kind of messed up right now, and I'm not feeling super great, but I am here to record a comic cast because you guys demand it. So, we are here, <laughs> and I, we are here, Perfect. and we have two books to cover, a little bit of news, so let's just jump straight into news. So the first thing we've got is on December 18th, solicitations were released, and there's a couple of different things. These are solicitations for March 2018. Um... Starting off with major story elements, the Poison Ivy arc in Batman will be continuing while a new arc in Detective Comics kicks off called Batman Eternal, which could see the beginning of a new direction for Tim Drake because it seems that he is at odds with Batman. After seeing the men of Gotham targeted over the past few months over in the pages of Batgirl and Birds of Prey, the Batgirl series states that women are being attacked throughout Gotham and that is a situation that Batgirl is going to be dealing with. Meanwhile, over in Batwoman, there's a new story arc called The Fall of the House of Cain, which continues the speculation on what direction the character is going after being at odds with the team in Detective Comics. Harley Quinn is still dealing with the Penguin in her series, and we could learn more about Huntress's history as she is called to testify at her mother's parole hearing over in Bird's Prey. In the pages of Justice League, the League and the Justice League of America have a team-up. And finally, over in Justice League of America, the arc wraps up and a new one featuring Kronos begins. Those of you who may have ever seen Kronos appear in the various Batman Brave and the Bold or Justice League action, that character. As far as creator changes, we see Javier Fernandez taking over art for at least two issues on Detective Comics, while Scott Godaleski will be taking over art on Batgirl. There's only one new series beginning this month, but it is actually taking the place of a previous series that was never officially canceled. As we mentioned in the last episode, Mother Panic Gotham AD jumps into the future and sees the first issue release in March. Batman Creature of the Night does not have its final issue solicited, which leads us to believe that the final issue will release in April instead. Meanwhile, Batman and the Signal, The Shadow Batman, Gotham City Garage, Harley Quinn and Ivy meet Betty and Veronica and Ragman all conclude their issues, as well as the previously advanced solicited Dark Knight's Metal, which releases its final issue on March 14th. So that means we might be seeing some new miniseries release in April. I'm sure we'll hear some announcements in the coming weeks if that actually is the case. Doomsday Clock takes the first of its two scheduled months off in March. Now, it's not two months in a row, but they had previously announced that March and August they were going to be taking off to make sure that Gary Frank could keep up with the art. There has also been a number of DC titles that have decreased their issues per month recently, as we talked about. Green Arrow is one of them. Aquaman is another. Some of the titles went from having two issues per month to switching back to the single issue per month. Although 2BU titles were affected by the change, for whatever reason, Trinity has two issues releasing in the month of March compared to its normal one issue. 
Interestingly enough, the price reflects the normal single issue per month price at $3.99 rather than the twice per monthly price point, which is $2.99. And then finally, some TBU characters will appear in, in some other titles that do not fall under our normal coverage. In Dead Man number five, Ra's al Ghul becomes the main focus for the Neil Adams series. And then Hellblazer number 20 sees Huntress make an appearance. So you can check out a gallery of some of the selected cover art over on the site, as well as the full breakdown of everything that is releasing in the month of March. So check that out. Nothing earth-shattering there. All right, and then next up, December 19th, sales numbers have been released, and TBU by the Numbers has been posted for November. No surprise, the very first issue of Doomsday Clock was the top issue for the month, clocking in at 238,000 issues for the month of November. Obviously, that went back to a second printing, so those numbers could increase over time. Batman Who Laughs, which was the one-shot tying into Dark Knight's Metal, that took the number three spot for the month with 105,000 issues. Batman Lost took the number four slot with 101, and then followed by Batman, the Batman Annual, Justice League, so forth and so on. You can see the full list over on the site. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of big differences between one issue to the next issue. If you're looking at some of the variations, some of them could be slightly off. Batman White Knight it shows that there is a 19% drop between issue 1 and 2, but it turns out issue 2 went back to a second printing before it even released because it was under-ordered by retailers. So just be aware that cer- certain books, they have had much better numbers than they thought. One book that probably didn't, well, I know it didn't go back to second printing, was Harley and Ivy Meet Betty and Veronica, which dropped from the first issue, it dropped from 52,000 to 29,000. So clearly people weren't having... And maybe the Harley Quinn era has uh, started to... Oh, well, up. yeah. What was it uh, about this time last year where Harley Quinn was like a top 10 book for a while? Yep. And now it's sitting in the mid-30Ks, which is right around where Nightwing normally sits. It's just sits. super average. So, yeah. I mean, nothing yeah. nothing special here. I mean, it was, it was tipping the scales close to 100,000 copies. So... I don't think we'll likely see that again. So that is all the sales numbers. Obviously, there's a much more detailed version of everything that I'm talking about over on the sites. I encourage you to check that out. Jessica puts a lot of time and effort into making sure the sales charts are completed. So be sure to check that out. And if you're enjoying those, be sure to comment on that article. All right, so the last bit of news we have comes on December 26th. DC sent out an interesting tweet that I happen to see. It actually happened over the weekend of, or over the holiday weekend. But if you're unfamiliar with a company called Eagle Moss, they are a collectible subscription company based out of the UK. In the past, they have done a number of different, basically, the way it works is uh, you subscribe to whatever it is, and then every three or four weeks they send you the next two issues of whatever it is so for example they had a, a, a version of this that launched a couple years back in the uk and it was called Batmobile automobilia or something like that it was a collection when it was all said and done they ended up having 85 issues where you would get a small booklet featuring like blueprints for the batmobile highlights from where the batmobile appeared in the comics and then you'd actually get in a nice little display case a model version of the bottle uh, of the Batmobile that you could put on display. 
It's really cool. I myself subscribe to it. I've got a good chunk of them. There's still a bunch of them that they've got back ordered that I haven't received yet, but it was a cool collection. They've done this with a couple of other subscriptions where they had one where it was like a, a chess set. And most of the time, not every single one of these ends up over in the U.S. The Batmobile subscription was one of the first ones that ended up over in the U.S. And they made a big deal about it because they announced it at Comic-Con and it kind of started subscriptions shortly after Comic-Con. I want to say it was 2014 when that started, but it could have been a little bit earlier than that. But the the whole idea is you subscribe to it, you get charged X amount of money every four weeks and they send you you know, the next couple issues or whatever. They've done this, like I said, with a couple of other things. They've done it with other things that aren't DC related too. They've done Star Trek vehicles. They've done James Bond vehicles. But what was interesting was there was actually the tweet that came out from DC announced that there was a new subscription that Eagle Moss was offering. And this is actually in, this, this is specifically covering graphic novels. Now, this is the first time they're not doing something that's collector based, like statue or die cast or anything like that related this is the first time they've ever done a an actual comic type subscription and it actually is a set of dc authorized graphic novels or trades collected in a hardcover form and the collection will actually showcase a you know as you put on your bookshelf it'll look like a giant picture as you continue your collection the overall price is actually cheaper than most trades go if you're interested but it right now is only available in the uk i'm sure if it gains momentum it could end up something here in the united states but i thought it was interesting mostly because dc is definitively saying that certain books are part of batman's chronological history and things like that and DC hasn't ever really tended to do that. They kind of just say, here's a bunch of books that we release. They're great stories, but this is supposed to be like a definitive collection of graphic novels and trades that Batman has appeared in. So, Will they release them in chronological order? or what? No, not exactly. So, I mean, I, I, the first couple of issues that they're releasing, so, like, so if you order the first couple that you're going to get, they've announced issues one through six at this point. Because it would be interesting if it was chronological. That might give us a sense of a whatever the official time frame was for somebody somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not chronological because I, if I remember correctly, basically the idea is that getting like a true group of all of these issues that have released. So, for example, so the first issue is Zero Year Part 1. The second issue is Zero Year Part 2. Then it jumps to Born to Kill, which is a Batman and Robin story. And then it jumps to Faces of Death. Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, it's all over the board. And then the last one is The Court of Owls. So those are the first six that they've announced at this point. Obviously, as the months go on, there will be more that will be revealed. It tends to be like every month they'll they'll reveal the next two in the line. Um, but it's interesting. They also have like a different, uh, a separate set where if you upgrade your subscription, you can get a set of Bruce Wayne fugitive slash murderer graphic novels for only a buck a piece. Well, it's a buck of fifty a piece. It's a it's a pound a piece, I should say. But uh, those sit by themselves with their own, you know thing on the side but there's a bunch of other prizes or not prizes but they call them presents or gifts that they're 
they give to you after so many deliveries and things like that. Bookends that you can actually use, obviously, to hold the books come after for six deliveries. So, I mean, like, it, it's kind of interesting. I just thought it was interesting because it's definitively saying these are the ones that we, as a company, believe are important. That's why we're including well, them. Well, it, it's, and it, I mean, I'd be tempted if this was something that we had here in America to get just because I own all those and I'd rather have them and you know here comes I guess the completionist in us but it would all look good on a shelf exactly <laughs> I, I would totally do it I would probably do it too I would probably <laughs> do it too I mean at this point I believe that they said that I mean I, I definitely agree there is definitely some some ideas of whether or not you know it could look amazing I'd love to have something like this to you know, pop up on my shelf and, and look really, really amazing. I want to say that I read somewhere, but I can't seem to find exactly where it is. But it, it basically, if I remember correctly, I remember seeing something saying that they were planning on at least 40 graphic novels at least, which is a significant amount. That's so, a I mean, if you're doing this, you're only getting two per month. You're getting on average, you know, you're, it's, you're going to be doing this for a couple of years at least, depending on how long they actually go. So, And I kind of prefer that because you're not going to write a check up front for like, Oh, here's $800. Exactly. exactly. And that's why I ended up doing the Batmobile one, because I thought, hey, by the end of this, I will have this awesome, massive collection of Batmobiles already in display cases that I can just pop slap up. on a yeah. shelf and have it be an amazing display. And this would be the same type of thing where once the collection is done, when it's sitting on a bookshelf, it will look amazing. So I do hope that this does come to the States, because I probably will end up getting yeah. into this just for the sure fact of having it look amazing Here's on the show. Yes, so. you got two customers, so, you know, go on. Yeah. All right, so anyway, if you want to learn more details about it or you actually are in the UK and you're interested in getting this, you can take a look at the link on the site. It'll give you a link over to it, and you can check out the gifts and the finer details of prices and things like that for those of you in the UK who are interested or if you want are just interested in learning and hoping that it makes it to the United States, then take a look too. So, that is all of the news we have. We're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews now. And our first book is Batman. Batman number 37, Super Friends Part 2. Tom King script, Clayman, Pencils and Inks, and special thanks to Seth Mann. I guess that means he helped out a little bit. Jordi Belair, Color, Clayton Cowles. Letters and Mikhail Janine or Mikhail Janine is the cover. Aha! So basically, this is a double date, and really, <laughs> there's not much more detail I can get into that, though I will say that they end up going to the Gotham County Fair, and tonight is in fact, or the night that they go is in fact Superhero Night, and the man at the front of the gate, who's dressed like one of the Wonder Twins, is basically refusing them entry, and they decide not to go as their normal guises, but to switch it up, which is interesting for Lois, because Lois gets to be Catwoman, but Catwoman just puts on Lois's outfit, and then to gain entry, she meows in uh, the guy's ear, but Superman turns, or I guess I should say Clark wears the Batman outfit, and then Bruce wears the Superman outfit. And so they just go to different, I mean, just like a regular fair, you know, they go through the Tunnel of Love, uh, they go to the batting cages, they get some prizes, they eat ice cream all along the way. Got different discussions going on, and mostly the guys are just, 
talking amongst themselves and then the girls are talking. And I feel like the girls get along way better, possibly because of the introduction of Lois's flask. Who knows? But throughout this, you can get a sense of the relationships between not only the same sexes, right? So Batman and Superman and then Lois and Selina, but also between the couples as well and how, how they react. So it's interesting at the very beginning just how Clark is very prim and proper. That for I guess it's the first page, right? Something that I noticed. Uh, Clark, you know, just has one arm around Lois. Uh, and then Bruce doesn't really, I feel like his love language is not necessarily <laughs> physical touch. But, you know, Selena generally, I think, if you're with Selena, she's going to very much show that you're her possession to a certain extent. So she's very much all over him. And then another fun part was when they were in the Tunnel of Love. And I think Clark and Selena had a really nice, you know, like you would expect them to be a pretty normal couple. But then <laughs> Selena comes out and she's like on top of Bruce. But that's basically it. Uh, you know, they discuss, I, I think that they've come to terms with this engagement. And they're both happy for each other. Um, and they're just sort of accepting that it's happening. And, and I think Bruce and Selena, it's it's hard to describe, I guess, why they're together. And I think we get that sense from this. And at the very end, because Bruce basically kept saying that he could hit a ball that Clark pitched him, we see at the end that Clark pitches as Superman and Batman hits it. Uh, so I guess that's that's up for debate whether, you know, he uh, he threw an actual pitch or not. So that is Double Date. I really recommend reading this. But, you know, I would basically be gushing for 15 minutes if you really wanted me to recap. So I think that's probably as much as people's tum-tums can take. So here we go. Double Date. What did you think about the characterizations of all four characters in this particular issue? Because it very much is character focused. I thought it was amazing. I, I love this issue. I love the last issue. I love this issue actually probably even more than the last issue. I think that everything that was happening with Clark and Bruce was spot on. I, I can't, I honestly, in my mind, can't see it their interaction any different than what I saw right here. Uh, between Lois and, and Selena, I think it was also really good. It's funny because you mentioned the flask, and I think that did have something to do with the fact that they did get along so <laughs> well. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, like, in some ways, you have to say, like, obviously Selena's come in contact with Superman in the past. Obviously Bruce has come in contact with Lois in the past. But how many times has Selena and Lois actually come in contact? I mean, I'm sure it's happened here or there, but... In reality, they don't know each other very well, not nearly as well as Superman and Batman know each know each other, or even, you know, Batman and Lois or Superman and Catwoman in that regard. So in some ways, it's one of those things where, like, if you've ever been on a double date in your entire life and you're the person who your friend is the one who is you're going on the double date with and their significant other or your significant other, they've never really interacted, it is it's... You know, there's some little, you have to have some like weird icebreaker moments to actually just be able to have those two click. You're hoping that those two, you know, I'm speaking from experience. That, and so like from my experience, I've gone on double dates before with my my best friend when I was in high school and my girlfriend at the time, his girlfriend at the time, you really want them to get along really well because it'd be awesome if you could all just hang out all the time. But you have to get to the point where they have to find something in common together because they're kind of being forced to be in this awkward situation where 
yet they're, in some ways they're each like the third and fourth wheel because you two are the friends. So I'm sure the alcohol, you know, helped loosen every everything up between the two of them. But I mean, like the characterization overall, I thought it was spot on. I, amazing, amazing work. Yeah, I mean, they seem to be, you know, about true. I mean, you would you would think that. I do think the booze definitely help there. Um, <laughs> you know, I do. I think that's a, that's a affirmative. Lois and Selena are very different characters. I can't remember. I mean, I'm sure they have had dealings but i don't i can't remember anything off the top of my head that kind of sticks out in my mind the characterization seemed good both for the girls and the guys bruce and you know clark seemed seemed about normal it seemed very much like you thought it would be if these four characters kind of got together um i thought the swapping of the costumes was was interesting but yeah no i felt they were very much in character so absolutely yeah at first i i was trying to figure out if Bruce was a little too much, like, forceful with his no. You know, like, he couldn't go along with it at all. And he was almost, I felt like I was seeing more of the Batman persona than the Bruce Wayne persona. But I guess that's good, right? Because the Bruce Wayne persona is very much the party guy and, you know, putting on this act. So I guess it's good that he's being true to himself. But (laughs) it was just, like, he kept saying no. Even when Selena was, you know, subtly hinting that she was hungry and wanted to go to the fair, he's like, no. But everyone else I thought was well done. I think in particular, I very much enjoyed the Selena and Lois interactions. I thought that they were the best. They made me crack up because I think they were the lighter of the two because I think Bruce and Clark certainly had more of a serious discussion going on. And while Selena and Lois had a serious discussion, I think it was the way it was presented was lighter. And it was just, I mean, they were like gal pals. So I very much enjoyed that. My second question is about actually the conversation that's happening. It's kind of later in the issue, about 17, 18 or so. It's when they're eating ice cream and going back and forth between Lois and Clark and Selena and Batman. So they're each having their own conversations. But Lois at one point brings up the fact that one of the couples or one of the women might be wrong about the situ- about their partners, their choice in partners, because... Lois and Superman are opposites, and so they're working well together. And Lois feels like Selina and Bruce are the same. And apparently, since they're going to get married, that they're working together. So Lois is under the assumption that maybe one of them is wrong or will turn out to be wrong in that relationship. I guess we can assume might not work out. Selena was bringing out the point that Clark and Lois are the same and it's working out, and then Selena and Bruce are the same, it's working out. So one of them might be wrong. But Lois says that maybe both of them, maybe they're both wrong. And I wondered which point of view did you did you believe in more, or did you think that it was just, again, the sign of the whiskey or whatever was in that flask? But what did you think about that particular conversation between the two women, and did you think either of them had the better perspective or the better opinion about the relationships? I probably would side more on the line of what Selena said about the fact that she is, you know, that that Lois and Clark are very similar, Batman and Catwoman are very similar but when Lois says that maybe they're not, maybe she's referring to the fact that maybe, like, there are some differences between them. I mean, like, I I have no problem admitting that I have, I'm not as super, super as familiar with the Lois and Clark relationship as 
somebody else out mm-hmm. there. I'm sure there's lots of people out there who are more qualified than me. Michael to Bailey. Be saying that. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> example. But I've read, obviously, I've read comics with them in it, and I've seen media incarnations with them in it. And sometimes it does feel like Clark sometimes is portrayed more of a very more wholesome than Lois. So maybe mm. there's some, okay, yeah. you know, maybe there's maybe there's a little bit of a nudge, like maybe they're not ex- so similar. Lois sees something that Selena is not recognizing and saying, "Well, maybe it's maybe you're not as similar as you think." You know, it's but it could just be. But if it was, it seems like a weird time to say something like that when they seem to be getting along, where that would you would assume starts you know be kind of an aggressive statement to say at this point in the date, but. Yeah, I mean, I would side with Selena and, and believe that the two couples are alike in their own separate ways, and that's that's the way they both believe that that's a good thing for their relationships. Yeah, I mean, but I guess the, the characters are supposed to be different, dramatically so. I mean, I don't think you would have a Lois character work with Bruce. It just doesn't seem like it fit, or that matter, could you imagine, you know, the uptight farm boy with Selena on his hands? You know, I just, I, I just think that they are, they're always supposed to be different. I, again, I, my knowledge of Lois and Superman is not equal to like the hardcore Superman fan. But let's face it, we've seen a lot of crossover, and when you read the Bat intertwined books like Trinity and things like that, you do see a certain amount of Lois in there. So I think that, you know, these are just where the characters need to be. I don't think you're going to see them become like best friends or anything like that. Typically, well, speaking from myself and my own life, if your girlfriend slash wife happens to get along with your best friends or close friends, girlfriend slash wife, enough to have social events together, that's that's pretty much good enough. And I think that that's what we'll be on par for here. I don't think they're going to become besties, but I think when when the boys are together, they're not gonna they're not gonna kill each other. Mm, yeah, and it's nice that Lois is really wanting. Selena to have wedding stuff, wedding things, I think she says very vaguely, so that, you know, she can come and join in on the party. So that's very nice. Yeah, I like to think that Lois is right, that they're both sort of wrong. And I I think it's just one of those things that they can't explain it, that one doesn't have to be right or wrong. They're both they're both wrong in some sort of way and that they're they match up. I do definitely see that Clark, perhaps from Michael Bailey's influence, but just my experience of of Clark and Lois over the years, that they are very opposite. He is very meek and mild. I think even as Superman, you know, Boy Scout, Smallville, all of these terms, whereas she's very, I think she's pretty, forceful is not necessarily the word, but she's just a really strong lady and very capable. I think part of it is because of her military upbringing and you know being an army brat and that's something that she certainly brings into the conversation and even when you see her in comics on her own she's able to handle herself I mean she was on a mission with Dinah Lance for goodness sake showcase 94 I think you know of a birds of prey so you know they're they're just very different and I think even Bruce brings that to his attention because he he mentions something about his his guys and her being a reporter and everything. Uh, so yeah, I like to think that they're both wrong and that even though they're trying to compare, I think, apples and oranges, that they have, both of these relationships have the legs to, to go the distance. So I, I like to think on, on that way. Plus her reasoning is that, you know, 
their world is insane, right? <laughs> Which is funny because does that mean that their world, the ladies' worlds, is not insane? But yeah, I I like their their little conversation there. I think you know those are. I mean, again, I could probably gush on uh, on this particular issue. Um, I guess the final fun question I could say is: Do you think that Clark put his all into that pitch? Or do you think, did he put his all into the pitch and Batman was able to hit it off of him? Or did he, I don't know, not send it with all the fury of the last son of Krypton? Well, the bat fan in me has to say that Superman <laughs> threw that pitch as hard as he could and Batman hit it off. I think okay. it lolly popped it in there because I don't know Superman that well. Oh. But I think if he threw it as hard as he could, it would have broken the bat. So That's true. Yeah. And Batman was saying how actually if he threw it as as fast as he could or with as much powerful as possible that the ball would disintegrate. He mentioned that earlier in the issue. So I do think he probably didn't send it with as much power as he could. But Batman got it nonetheless, and the ladies are cheering. So there you go. All right, so... Batman, I'm going to give a total of four and a half out of five. Three out of five. I'm going to give this a five out of five. I thought it was great little details, like like I was saying at the beginning during my recap of, you know, how Clark and Lois are relating to each other and then how Selena and I, I think Tom King really got it. My favorite little arc I think that he's done so far, I think these two, two issue, this two issue arc, I assume this is it, um, Super Friends was probably the best that I've read from him. All right, turn over on the website. Matthew gave it four and a half out of five, so that's going to give Batman a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 971, written by James Tyen IV, art by Miguel Mendicona. The issue starts off at Arkham Asylum. The victim syndicate has taken over the facility. A very nervous young reporter is greeted at the gate by Abigail, Madame Crow, and Anarchy, who take her to the first victim. Victim monologues a bit about how Batman is the true villain and the Syndicate just wants to help. Mr. Noxious claims credit for the murder of the police in the Syndicate's last attack, and the first victim orders Mute to silence him. The reporter sees Clayface, deprived of his bracelet which allows him to keep his human shape and moral sense, and Mudface wants to tell the world about Batman using Clayface as one of his operatives. In the Belfry, the Knights see the news reports. Cass is devastated at Clayface's predicament, while Tim tries to catch up, since he was dead during the first attack. Batman tells him that the Syndicate wants him to unmask. Stephanie Brown returns, telling them that the Syndicate is using her clone phone, and thus she feels responsible and wants to stop them. She tells them that she infiltrated a planning meeting for a huge protest a few weeks ago. Tim feeling betrayed, but Steph says she didn't know about the scope of the plan at the time. Tim still challenges her, asking what she wants, and Steph snaps back that she just wants to save broken people from dying from a mad crusader. The team attempts to formulate a plan, suggesting a pincer assault, collaborating with the colony, and gets bogged down in the discussions until Cass reminds them that Clayface needs help now. Batman decides that he's going in alone after receiving a furious call from Mayor Atkins, threatening that if he does anything except come alone to Arkham, the city will treat him as an outlaw. He splits the team in half to deal with the multiple protest sites and heads off to the asylum. In the meantime, Mudface tortures Clayface with an electrical prod, trying to break him down to his monstrous, conscienceless state again. She declares that her only goal in life is to hurt him in revenge for what he did to her. 
Commissioner Gordon waits at the gates at Arkham, telling Batman that he has always had problems with Batman putting kids in danger, which has pushed him to agree with Mayor Atkins. Batman, betrayed, nonetheless walks into the lion's den. Anarchy walks him from the gate to the asylum, and Batman tries to reason with the young man. Lonnie counters Batman's appeal to his better nature with the argument that Batman has created his own oppressive system to replace the oppression of crime that controlled Gotham before he existed. The first victim greets Batman with a hundred guards, all wearing the victim's signature bloody paint on their heads. Batman implements a Joker backup plan, sealing the asylum completely, and fights all the guards and the syndicate members by himself. Meanwhile, at the protest, Red Robin tells Orphan and Spoiler that none of this makes any sense. The protests don't disrupt anything serious in the city, and Orphan notices that the locations are all over sewer hubs. Just as Batman finishes the Syndicate's troops, he deactivates the asylum's seal and calls in the police, but realizes too late that the Syndicate wanted him to bring in the cops so that the newly enraged and monstrous Clayface would break free and destroy them all. All right, so Detective Comics. So the big thing is, in my opinion, is the work of basically the downfall of Clayface. This is where we're going to. It's not Clayface's fault, and in any regard, since the very beginning of Detective Comics at in DC Rebirth, we have talked about why is Clayface on this team? Doesn't he present a problem? Why is Batman trying to reform villains? And in some regards, some of our our very concerns that we said at the beginning when this this team was introduced is being brought to light by the fact that the city themselves have no idea that Clayface has been used by Batman as part of his team. Now that they know that Batman has been using a criminal or a former criminal as part of his team, they're obviously going to turn even more against him. We even see Commissioner Gordon to a degree turning against Batman. So it seems like everybody is turning on Batman, including some of his own team members, Stephanie Brown and Clayface, even if it wasn't by choice. So the the question is, I mean, even though we kind of saw this coming from a long, long, long time ago, nonetheless, this is an interesting take on the idea of having somebody like Clayface on the team do you feel it was done properly? Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty pretty properly. I mean, I guess we had to have this moment, and I, I think I would have kind of felt cheated if we didn't eventually get this. Like, the screens in the background that show the news showing that, like, Batman's using a murderer. They're not wrong. Like, this moment had to eventually come. There had to be a reckoning for him using a criminal like Clayface. Now, we don't know since continuity has been such in flux since Rebirth. We're not really sure what is in continuity and what is out of a continuity for Clayface. So I don't know if you could maybe you could remove some of his more heinous acts over the years. But I mean, he's still a, an admitted multiple murderer. I think there had to be a reckoning for Batman doing it. Is this the perfect way to deal with it? I, I can't really answer that question because I think we really need the conclusion before I can tell you because this is just the setup. But it is important that we deal with this concept of why is Batman using a murderer? And I think something that I really look for in my comic stories is when something happens that's pretty important. Am I caught off guard, which sometimes I suppose you should be, like villains, right? You want to perhaps be shocked that a villain is a villain. And unfortunately, we don't get that much because usually the most recently added character happens to be the villain. But in this case, 
you know, does this, does this make sense in terms of the whole, the scope of the whole story that Clayface turned? And I would like to say yes, because the buildup, little pieces of the puzzle or, or little, I guess, hints that this was going to happen had been present in, you know, maybe not entirely the run, but certainly when Dr. October was brought on, right? Because he fights, uh, it was mentioned that he was fighting with this side of him. He can't retain that form for too much. You know, it's hard for him. Uh, as more recently, he was working with Dr. October to, obviously he has that bracelet, which we see here, um, but trying to wean himself off of the bracelet and be able to, I guess, retain either a shape or just not have, I guess, a, a penchant towards the dark side, you know, without that little bracelet. So little by little, you saw these these pieces, I think, of him really trying to grapple with, I guess you could almost say his humanity, right? <laughs> Try His better his better half or just better morals and, and ideas. And here you see what happens when, when the pressure is just put on him for too much. Now, I wonder, though, because he really had been training and honing these skills and practicing and, and trying to keep on that, how long would it reasonably have to take to break him? Because, yes, he is without the bracelet, but how long has it been since he's been captured? I would like to think it's a short amount of time that he's been taken and then, you know, the team is alerted that he's gone. And and I would like to think that with all this stuff that he's been doing, especially with Cass, that he's able to hold out a little bit longer. So that's the only thing that I don't like as much. But I, I think the buildup was there and you could sort of sense that something was going to happen and there's there's tension there. I'm sad that it happened. Yes, I know. <laughs> there's a bad guy on the team and generally they do show their true colors, which you can just see in the New 52 era of Birds of Prey with Poison Ivy being on the team and everything. Actually, that other woman whose name I have now forgotten was really the first bad guy on the team that betrayed them. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of wish, just because of what we had seen between him and Cass, I think we saw a really nice side of Clayface, and I, I wish that he was able to, to conquer it. So now I'm sad. But I guess it was inevitable, and I do think that it was done well, and I think that the reactions from the varying members of the team were appropriate, especially Cassandra, who's obviously very distraught, and she's the one who's basically yelling at everyone to get their heads out of their butts and get on it. So, yeah, I think it was done well, but I'm sad about it. I agree. Um, basically, I mean... Like I said, we all knew that this was coming. It wasn't like a humongous surprise that this was coming, but it was happening. You know, it, it's one of those things where, like, you can, even though you know it's coming at some point, the character has actually become a character where you actually care. You know, proof positive is the way Stella was just talking about the character <sighs> and saying that, you know, it's unfortunate this is that this has happened. So, and I definitely agree. I mean, I also thought about Birds of Prey with Poison Ivy when we were talking about this before about putting villains on teams. It just doesn't, sometimes it just doesn't end up working very well. I believe the character you were thinking of was Starling, who ended yes. up being like an undercover Thank agent you. for like Mr. Freeze or something. Yeah, and I think that was before Ivy went bad. I think that her bad arc was before Ivy. I think she was the first, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, so, but yeah, I mean, you know what's coming, but it's one of those things where 
because they've built the character and given the character of Clayface so much progression over the course of these last couple of years, you know, or year and a half, really, I mean, like, you've grown to appreciate the character more than we probably did when we first said, why the heck is Clayface on this team back in June of 2016? So definitely agree in that regard. The other thing I want to talk about is, you, Stella, you kind of brought it up, but I want to talk about it a little bit more. You know, we've been seeing, like, bits and pieces over the course of the run from Titan slowly build to other things, and I've brought this up before, but one of the things that's really interesting is, you know, when the Victim Syndicate showed up, it was kind of like, okay, here's an interesting group of villains. Batman took them down pretty freaking easily. I mean, it, it didn't... That arc was actually pretty short in comparison, and it felt like the focus was just to get Stephanie Brown over to their side which wasn't completely successful either. It was just removing Stephanie from being part of the, you know, part of Batman's side per se. So the fact that they were taken down so easily, and now the fact that they have so many guards that are under their control, and I know a lot of that could be just having to do with the fact that there's members of the team who have the ability to have control over them, whether it be the, you know, the fear toxin or variety of other things that, that the members of the, the victim syndicate have the abilities to do it's interesting because it almost feels like maybe this was their plan all along was to get caught by batman and to get locked up in arkham because it seems like they've been planning this massive plan for quite some time and part of the plan was just getting captured and locked up in arkham by batman earlier in in the run so the thing i, I guess i want to talk about is like you know, we've seen this time and time again with small little bits hinting at larger story points that are coming. We saw that with Azrael being introduced, and then the next story arc was an Azrael-centric story. We've seen this with other characters as well. The question I want to ask is, the victim syndicate seems like the largest one because it happened such a long time ago, and there has been so many steps to get to where we are now that it does truly feel like Titan has been planning from at least the very beginning, because even with the inclusion of Clayface on the team, he had to have something like this planned, otherwise why would he have had Clayface on the team? And the fact that this all stems around the idea of Batman putting young people at risk by having them part of his team seems to be one of the centric points that Titan is trying to make. So I guess the question I want to pose to you guys is, do you believe that... This is a good way to tell a story where you, you can tell a story starting a year and a half ago and slowly build up to something like this and even even potentially build up something further because for all we know, this is only leading to something even larger because it seems like that's all that keeps happening with Tynion's Run, which is not necessarily a bad way to be telling a story in my opinion, but I want to get your guys' thoughts on whether or not you feel that is good storytelling. I don't have an issue with the long-term payoff. I mean, I'm a Scott Snyder fan, yeah, so why do I? Yeah. yeah. Why do I care if it takes 25 issues to tell me a story? <laughs> you know, like what's the big deal? 24 Who years. Is 24 that what you issues, said? but oh, issues. Okay. 24 years would be, would be stretching a bit for me. The only thing that I I dislike this for is. I, how many times in comics have we seen someone do this and we never get the payoff because a creator change or the book went a different direction or, you know what I'm saying? I definitely agree with that, but it seems like DC is actually putting some like thought and commitment behind 
certain creators, and, and Tyne is clearly one of them because he's been on the book for a year and a half. The sales numbers are not like blowing anything out of the water, but they're they're solid. But they're good. Yeah, and they're fine. the yeah. same thing seems to be the case with Tom King. Like there's things that people can complain about about his run, but he's still selling very well. And he's he keeps telling everybody he wants to be on for a hundred issues, which we know is going to be at least you know four years, four plus years. So the thing is, like, it's definitely seeming like DC is at least putting some sort of commitment behind this. Because going into this, there's, and I agree, I definitely agree, we have seen it time and time again about these massive things being plotted, and you can see that it's building, and Never then suddenly happened. it just yeah. halts. It just halts, and it's done, and you're like, what the heck happened? How did it end like this? And it's frustrating, it's super frustrating as fans and readers to have something like that happen, but it feels like that's not going to happen here doesn't feel like it's happening in Batman. It doesn't feel like it's happening here in Detective Comics. It feels like they're actually giving them the opportunity to tell the story, and unless there's some drastic thing where, like, they lose, like, half their readership in one month, they're going to keep letting them do it, which I'm completely okay with. Yeah, no, I think they probably will, but it's not like that's never happened. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean... Right, right, right. It just feels like they're taking more risk well, with the, the It seems now. like they're giving them a lot more rope, you know? I mean, before... And maybe that stems from what Snyder was doing, because Snyder was selling well and doing those crazy long story arcs that pay off like a year later, and there was things that he hinted at that didn't even pick back up for another two years and things like that, and they saw how well he did with that, and they thought, well, maybe we'll do this, we'll give other writers a chance, and if anything, I'm not reading a lot of other stuff that's not Batman-related at this point, or books that we cover here on the website in Greater Gotham, but I don't know how many other writers are actually giving that opportunity to where they're letting them write so long. I know Dan Jurgens has been on uh, Action Comics for quite some time, and I know Peter Tomasi has been on Superman. But outside of those two writers, I don't. I know that like Wonder Woman was Greg Rucka, but that stopped during the summer. Justice League just got a new writer. Yeah, Justice League just got a new writer. Steve Orlando has been on Justice League of America, but it's only been just a, just about a year at this point. So I mean, like, it just seems like. Some of these books, especially the ones that are shipping twice a month, it seems like they're giving the writers a little bit more opportunity. I mean, Tim Seeley just left Nightwing, but he was on the book for a year and a half, too. But that accumulated, you know, 36 issues. So it's definitely, it seems like they're they're giving the writers a little bit more time and more pages, per se, to tell their stories and see if they can do something really worthwhile. Yeah, and I, again, that would be my only drawback to this. I have no problem with the long-form storytelling. I just don't want ever to get robbed of the payoff, you know? I, um, I think it's fine. Yeah. I think the setup here is fine. I think the long-term plays into it. It definitely let you build the anarchy character up a little bit and, and his relationship with Stephanie. So I think it's fine. I do. I just, I just hate it when we don't get the finish. That's all. I have a concern. Oh. And this is something I've been battling with in a different way over in my own show, Backworld Oracle. But we, I think, if I recall, we were mostly disappointed with the victim syndicate arc. Is that correct? I think yes. Overall, we were. I think part of it had. I think part of it had to do with the fact that the the villains weren't super well developed, and the other part of it was I think that. Spoiler was at a weak point sure. where, because of what happened with Tim Drake, where when she removed herself from the team, I think we were upset about that as well. And would you say that now you are better appreciating the victim syndicate? 
At this point, I think, yeah, I mean, I still hope that they develop these characters a little bit more than, hey, there's these random villains that have characteristics or abilities that seem similar to other Batman villains. Because I... And I'm not... And, and honestly, if this is going to be, like, the Victim Syndicate's big story and, and they're never going to get used again, I guess there's no reason to really develop them. But I just appreciate, in general, when characters are better developed and you learn more about them, like... Certainly, Madame Crow has something to do with Scarecrow to a degree, but what is it? You know, Mute, I don't know what his... I, I thought maybe it had something to do with Ventriloquist, but I don't know for sure. Who knows? I don't I don't know exactly, like, the first victim. I don't know anything about the character. Does it have something to do with Batman? And because the first victim, he, she is blaming Batman all the time for all of the horribleness that's come to Gotham. So, I mean, like... I just wish it was better developed. Maybe that's part of the plan is to not develop with them because they're supposed to be more mysterious, and that's probably more of the case. But I just hope that in the end, they're a little bit better developed, especially if they're going to be a, a group that's just going to be locked up and mm-hmm. be able to be used in the future. So this is interesting, right? Because if this is what Tynion was planning all along, which I feel like as a student, as a Padawan of <laughs> Very Star Wars. Scott Snyder. Yeah. yeah, I know. He's, well, I said my name was Ray today, right? Uh, that he probably is prepared for the future. So that means that potentially he, I don't want to use the word dud, but he had a less successful arc, had them less developed, knowing that he was going to develop them further. And so is that good storytelling? This is like some of the things I'm sort of battling around with myself here. Is that good storytelling? Or should they have been developed in the first place, even though he knew he was going to continue on with their story? My concern is always this with new villains that creators create. I feel like and I think a lot of this stems from the New 52 with the abundance of new villains that everybody was creating because it felt like nobody could use established villains. Everybody had to make new villains. There's only a very few select people that were able to use existing villains. And in some cases, they were using them in the wrong sense. But when creators create new villains, if they don't figure out a way to connect that villain in a meaningful way to the story and still develop the character in the short time that the character is actually going to be appearing so if it's a three or four issue story arc if by the end of the story arc that character is locked up in arkham asylum and batman is saying another great job done i've 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 taken care of another villain do you really care about that villain are you ever going to care about that villain again and if not then story is that story even memorable at that point i mean like there are certain villains that creators use to just have there as the ability to serve as a plot point you know they're just further serving the the overall plot and when the victim syndicate showed up it felt like that was what their purpose was it didn't feel like they had a reason because we weren't learning anything about the characters other than they have these unique abilities and they blame batman and Batman's family for all of the horribleness that has happened to them. I don't have a problem with holding off on developing characters when it's part of the plot, as I said, you know, as I said, this could be the case with the victim syndicate, or because the other part that I that I find super annoying and I found I have found super annoying for months is the fact that Clayface keeps visiting Mudface in Arkham Asylum. And apologizing and, and, and saying, oh, I'm so yeah, sorry for everything that's happened. Yeah, it just keeps going on and on. And she's, yeah. 
She's still super ticked about it, but we don't actually know what exactly happened. That's super annoying that that keeps coming up over and over again, but you don't actually know what happened. She blames him for whatever happened, but everybody else is saying that Batman's to blame, and it could be because Batman, you know, the the idea that, well, the presence of Batman has brought villains to Gotham, the, these villains would not be in Gotham, and that's why they're blaming Batman instead of, I guess, blaming the villains that potentially caused the issues to them. But it's super annoying when stuff like that keeps coming up, but... If there's a reason behind it, I'm okay with it. Now, if this turns out to be the victim syndicate is thwarted in the next two issues because the story arc's wrapping up and we don't learn anything about it, well, then I guess I, I will. I guess I'll go back to my original thought of well, the victim syndicate's kind of yeah, whatever. Now, I will say I know that the annual, which comes out at the end of January, is supposed to focus on Clayface, and I'm wonder. I'm hoping we learn something about this Mudface situation or something at all about developing those characters, because it does feel like month in and month out, we're not hearing anything about it other than some horrible thing happened, but we're not learning anything about it. Either show us or quit talking about it. Like, Exactly. You know, either either show us what it is, or just let it translate to some backstory we don't need to see, where we go, yeah, they got some history, but when you talk about it every bloody month, you either need to show it to me, or just stop talking about it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, basically it just comes down to I am okay with it as long as there's a payoff. Yeah. Which is what, going back to what Ed said. You know, if there's a payoff, fine. If there's no payoff, then it, it just feel it falls flat because it just feels like they were there to serve a purpose for whatever the plot was. Yeah. Well, I yeah. I'm struggling with this a little bit just in, I guess, how comics are written now. This is certainly a different aspect of what I've been struggling with over on my own show. But I think it's poor storytelling. <laughs> if you knew coming in that you were going to develop the characters more in the future and so you left off because you took a hit to a certain extent, uh, we didn't like it as much. And so you you didn't please your audience, but that's okay because you're coming back to them later and I don't know if you can do that I think you have to your job as a writer as an entertainer because that's really what you know he's we're buying these things to be entertained right is that we we should be enjoying them throughout so I find an issue with that there Um, so long-term storytelling I like that we've come back to them because certainly it it was a shock that well we're not done with them yet but (laughs) there's a connection which I think that thread being Stephanie Brown um because she was certainly the one they went after to a certain extent. And then you've got uh, Anarchy. So it's like they never actually went away, but really they're just back in full force. I'm not as much a fan of huge long arcs because I think sometimes you lose some stuff. And this is what I've been battling with is should you be able to hop on at any moment on an issue is that what the point of comics is or do you need to wait for the whole arc to be finished? My, you know, my example is that I was reading Summer of Lies in Batgirl. I didn't like part one. I read part one, part two, part three. Someone pushes me on something I said in part one. I go back and then I like part one better because I had read the subsequent issues. But is that how it should be? Should I not be pleased with one the first time? So, you know, some of these are better. I I think Ed has come back and said that reading, I think when he gets his trades, that he sits down and reads the whole trade of Snyder and things really work much better that way. And so, and and I appreciate, I read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in trade and, and I love 
doing some trades that like, you know, holiday sales on Comixology are lovely because I'm getting all this story all at once and so I don't have to, you know, wait for everything. But a 14-issue arc, that's huge. And we're getting it each month. It's not like we can wait for 14, you know, and then we can at one point on TBU have our whole arc and talk about it. We can't do that, unfortunately. So I do have a bit of an issue with, with long term just because I think details are missed. And, you know, something I continue to complain about is that DC Comics does not have a little synopsis page at the beginning, which Marvel Comics does. And I know Dustin doesn't like me talking about Marvel, but it is nice if it, there's been a, a distance in your reading Lots of comics, sometimes storylines get mixed up. So it's nice to turn that first page and be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, I remember what was going on now. But we don't get that here. So those are the things that I've sort of been battling with. I don't know if I answered the question, but that's, that's what I'll end with. But the thing is, I think it comes down to this. I think that comics in general have turned their focus more towards long-form storytelling Specifically because trades, I think, in general, sell to a larger audience. I don't know if trades actually sell to more people, but I, you know, it seems like the focus is less on single issue month to month. We're seeing, in general, shorter and sh- longer and longer story arcs, regardless of what book it is. It doesn't matter if it's twice per month or only once a month. The story arcs seem to be longer than in the past. I mean, Years and years ago, you could have a story arc that only took place in one or two issues. Every once in a while, we'll see like a one-off issue or something like that, or like we just saw in, in Batman, we saw two issues where it's still continuing the story, but it's its own standalone little arc in the midst of the larger story. But that's not something we're seeing very often nowadays. I mean, most arcs are, you know, in general, at least four, five, six issues long because... That's how they are collected in trades nowadays. And I think that the focus, at least in most circles that that I'm aware of, seems to be that trades are the way of everything now. Well, they fly forever. You know what I mean? Like, it is very rare for someone to go back and, what, Court Owls, and grab all the Court Owls issues. But it is much more common to go buy the graphics. So once the graphic novels are put into production or the trades, however you want to call them, those flags are going to fly forever. You know, I mean, if you have a good trade... And they'll yeah. reprint them and they'll come out with new editions. New editions. I mean, it just keeps happening, exactly. So, I mean, like, it's one of those things where it's clearly the focus that they're doing. There might not be as many, but it also seems like, based off of what they're releasing week to week when it comes to graphic novels and trades and things like that specifically trades or collected editions that is it feels like they're doing a lot much larger focus on even releasing some of the pre-flashpoint stuff there's there was some suicide squad recently that just came out from like the 80s that was reprinted in trade form some other stuff that they've reprinted in trade form after it being out of print for like years and years and years they just did the stephanie brown batgirl stuff not too long ago yeah so i mean like there's a lot of stuff out there that clearly if there's people out there who are buying it, they're producing it, and it's a heck of a lot easier for them to produce it in trade than it is in the single issues. My understanding is also that trades in general are cheaper to make than the single issues because there's less overhead with this with you know a single trade over you know potentially six individual issues. And I don't I don't know the logistics or the f- economics behind that for sure, but I imagine that that would be true just because. 
there are six issues that yes they're not as thick but a trade is is a, is one item compared to six items just that math makes more sense to me so when you think about the availability too like I was at a target like a couple weeks ago they had the Dark Knight Returns and the Killing Joke there on the shelves in trade yep yep I was actually at Target earlier today and I saw trades and different collected editions on on the shelf too so I mean like and that was not something that was probably super common even 10 years no, ago no you never um, saw them anywhere it's definitely something newer I mean like I remember the, making a big deal about the fact that I saw a single issue comics at Toys R Us like maybe four or five years ago during the New 52 at the beginning of the New 52 or something and I remember seeing those issues and thinking wow this is crazy I don't think I've ever seen I haven't seen any comics like actually at a normal store for a long time outside of a comic shop and when I was a kid I used to seek Batman comics at the grocery store on the shelves with all the magazines and I would my dad would be grocery shopping and I would be reading the comic books sitting at the grocery store but I mean that's what it was and now you go to grocery stores you don't really see them because there's not as much of a focus on the newsstand but with trades there's definitely more avenues that they could do it that it's probably not as expensive especially since trades it's not like the individual comic because my understanding with an individual comic is if a retailer orders a comic and it doesn't sell if they want to get credit for the comic you know if it was a returnable comic that is if they want to get credit, all they have to do is like mail in the cover. They rip off the cover, and they mail the covers back, and they get credit for it if it was returnable. If it's not returnable and they order too many, they're just stuck with them, and they got to sell to them, and they'll eventually make their way to like the dollar right. bin or whatever, whatever your comic shop has. But the thing is, trades, you're, you, you can't do that. You, you know, you're you're you got the trade no matter what. You're not going to rip off a cover of a fifteen dollar book and send it back. Yeah, send it back because right. it just is a waste of money. So. It seems like the focus is on that longer form storytelling just because of the collected editions. So, Do you think we're in a point where uh, Batman comics aren't very new reader friendly? Like, Do you think anyone could hop on and they'd be okay? Because I feel like while I'm reading it, I don't see it. No, they're not. No, there's honestly Detective and Batman are, I think, no possible way. I mean, there's a couple series here and there. That like if you come in at the beginning of a story arc, you could just follow along. But there are plenty of stories where like they're Dude. hinting back at things. And it just goes back to like I've said before, I really wish they would bring back the editor's notes because then you would actually have a way of knowing <gasps> what to read if you wanted to know more about stuff. I just wish they did that more often. You don't see it that often at all nowadays, and I really wish they would, especially with like Detective and Batman, because there are so many references to things that are happening in the past, even more so in Detective, now that they're harkening back to story arcs that came out over a year and a half ago. So the thing is, I wish that would happen. I understand the thing about the synopsis page that you were saying, Stella, and if the reason they're not doing it is because they don't want to come across just like Marvel and feel like they're copying them, fine. But the editor's notes do just as good of a job just saying, like, see Detective Comics number 968. Sure. You know, and with the little asterisks, you know, it's a common thing that was used for, like, decades. There's no reason you couldn't use them again. I mean, the only downfall is that, and it just goes back to our previous discussion about the trades, the only reason you wouldn't put it in there is if you don't want to have to take that stuff out when it goes into trade, because then it's meaningless when it's once it's in trade. 
because you're not going to go back after buying a trade and seek out a single issue. And that's the only thing I think of the reasoning behind that, which still seems stupid because everything now that they're producing is digital, which means they could take out a, you know, a little spot like that. Do whatever they want, whenever they want. Exactly. And you see it all the time with creators saying that they're fixing stuff for trades and things like that. So, yeah. Okay. So Detective Comics, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five. Three out of five. It's fine. Three out of five. Over on the site, Ian gave it three and a half, so that's going to give Detective Comics a total of three out of five batterings. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Before I jump into Greater Gotham, I'm just going to say I'm actually going to skip Greater Gotham this episode. Not <gasps> on purpose. I'm going to skip it, but I'm going to, when we do the next episode, I will go back and I will cover all of the Greater Gotham. My voice is literally like starting to crack, and I'm afraid that I'm not going to get through listener comments if I read out Greater Gotham. But I will say, because I know Stella will get very upset if I don't mention this. <gasps> Over the past two weeks, there was a specific book that Stella has been getting on my case about for the last like six months, <laughs> telling me that it's coming, telling yes, me that I should be course. telling everybody it's coming. So yes. I'm just going to announce to everyone yes. that on December 20th, there was a certain book called Batgirl, oh. the Bronze Age Omnibus, Volume 1 hardcover, that released. For all the other Greater Gotham stuff, stay tuned to the next episode, oh, and man. I will be sure to cover all of those. But in Finally. the meantime, if, yeah, in the meantime, if you want to know about what's going on in the other comics, be sure to check out our review roundup that happens on Saturday mornings, giving basically one one sentence synopsis of what happened in each comic that released for the week, as well as the ratings, links to the actual reviews. And of course, you could just easily just check out all the reviews we have on the site too, because all of these books that we talk about in Greater Gotham are reviewed in depth on the website. So if you are inclined to check that out before the next episode be sure to head over to the site and check that out so with that we're going to just jump straight into our listener q a's (laughs) boy did you get a wrong number leave your message at the sound of the shriek no please don't (laughs) and the very first one we have Comes from Jerry. Hi, all. Terrific podcast as usual. Enjoy the passionate discussion. My thoughts on the main Batman book. From the start of Rebirth, I had been reading Batman every two weeks like a good little bat fan and was starting to hate read it. Oh. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> Somewhere around that. That's kind of what I feel about Ed. I hate like huh. uh, So I'm just, I'm wow. just kidding. Wow. I'm Happy just New Year's, everybody. It was my New Year's resolution. Anyway, somewhere around the beginning of the War of Poops and Giggles, I gave up but continued to buy the book. Two weeks ago, I did a marathon catch-up, and I enjoyed the story. Aha! Much, much more. See what I'm talking about? I think Tom King's run will read much better in trade. With Batman, I'm exactly. yeah, I'm reading stories about a billionaire that puts on a cape, cowl, and tights to swing around on ropes and fight crocodile men and various intergalactic menaces. Saying something bothers me because it is unrealistic is a bold and subjective stand. I'm willing to overlook things in proportion to how much some aspect of the story appeals to me. Personally, I'm drawn to compelling relationships more than flying and punching. Reading ten issues or so of Batman in one sitting, I realized the War of Jokes and Riddles wasn't about Joker and Riddler, but about Bruce and Selina. I was able to overlook all the wildly unrealistic actions and motivations of the war players because of how well the Bat-Cat relationship is being developed. 
After the war, the questions continued. How was Holly Robinson with Talia? How was Selena, a swashbuckling neophyte, able to defeat <laughs> uh, the world's most dangerous swords person? But when Talia said to Bruce, I like her, I forgave it all. These moments Tom King gives us is worth all his clumsy plot machinations for me. I can understand that folks who focus on the fighting or are invested in the continuity could hate this stuff, and if I wasn't getting my wheelhouse, it would bother me too. 17 issues of Rules of Engagement sounds awesome. Maybe I could get a Tom King-written Bat Family Brady Bunch book, while others get the metal-inspired Bat Bad butt Batman fighting trans-dimensional porcupines and stuff. Make everyone happy. Exactly. I mean, the reality is there's all kinds of different versions of Batman. You have the family Batman who's working with a team in Detective Comics. You've got Batman, and now he's, you know, they're dealing with his relationship with Selina more than anything else in Batman. But then over in Dark Knight's Metal, you've got this crazy off-the-wall storyline that's going on. So... There's a lot of different versions of Batman to, to basically peak whatever version you want to, to read. So there's that. I definitely agree. I mean, he he's definitely takes a point to say the stuff reads better in trade. I mean, we just talked about that. So, you know, points to him for calling that before the discussion actually came up. But, yes, there's, there's always these questions that arise from Tom King's thing, his writing, and it does, there, there are points where you get stuff like, for example, these last two issues of Batman where by the end of it you're like, yes, this was really good stuff. I mean, Ed might not like it, but hey. I liked it. Stella liked it. A lot of other people liked it. Actually, a whole lot of other people liked it, yeah, I guess. I am definitely in the minority on this one. Yes, yeah. but... But basically, you get these like short story arcs where they're amazing. Like the two issue story arc that he did last year with uh, Batman and Catwoman were was really great writing. I mean, like he does these amazing things where he has the ability to tell these character moments between characters. But maybe maybe it's that he is more about the character moments between the you know the main characters of a series more so than the action points, and that's why some of the action points or some of the action plots stuff that's happening like the war of jokes and riddles and the i am bane stuff doesn't come across as as well as the relationship stuff or the character development stuff because that's what he's really good at i haven't read it but there was the vision series from marvel that i know has a lot of people have said really good things about that he did and my understanding is as a very emotionally based title and the the story was very you know it was dealing with the emotions of a character who doesn't have emotions on a normal basis. So it seems like that's the type of stuff that he's really good at. And maybe all this other stuff is just stuff that maybe he's, he's slowly grasping or he's, he's learning how to, to do, but he's leaning on those moments that, like you said, in your comments where Talia says to Bruce, I like her. It's a acceptable moment because it's like, okay, this works. You know, you might have a million other questions about the same exact issue, but that one moment is like, that was a really good moment. And I think that's the things that he's leaning into. And it's taken him a while, I think, to lean into that stuff more so because we've been seeing it more, a little bit more ever since the button in May. But there's only been a couple of situations before that that we've actually seen these character development moments with you know, focusing on the emotional impact of some of the characters. Well, and you have to think that the only reason why Selena is still alive after a sword fight with Tali was because she let her be alive. I mean, honestly. It's true. All right, so our next comment comes from No Deuces. Regarding Batman 36, I normally completely disagree with Stella. <gasps> 
The Joker is great. Death in the Family is great. Blah. Metal is great. Blah. And Doomsday is super great. Blah. Batman 36 is an incredible book. I loved it. Ed, you are wrong for once, he says. Okay, but yeah, so at that point, I mean, so what was funny was when he first posted this up, he actually put Dustin. You uh, are wait, wrong. I like that better. And I was better. like, That's better. wait, wait, yeah. wait, what? So if you are on the site and you read the further comments, I actually, there's comments where I'm saying, do you mean Ed was wrong because I praised the book? And then it turns out he he incorrectly wrote Dustin, fixed it, all problems solved, Ed is wrong. So, yeah, Batman was incredible. I mean, there's definitely things that I have, I, it, it, what's unique about, I think, the three of us is that the three of us, there are times when we all think stuff is really good. There's times when we all think things are really bad. But then there's these other stories where, like, one of us will think it's horrible. One of us will think it's really good. One of us will think it's just all right. Like, it, there's a spectrum. And it feels like right now there's a big spectrum with the stuff that's yes. out there right now. I mean, like, Dark Knight's Metal, I can say that, like, I'm enjoying it, but it's not amazing. Ed, I think, is Love loving it. it. Yeah. And Stella wants to poop on it. It's true. And Doomsday Clock, Love I'm it. loving it. I absolutely think it's amazing. Stella's not so much. Uh, meanwhile, Batman, I think Stella and I both love it, and Ed mm. is just like, eh, okay. So, I mean, that's what makes, I guess, the three of us and our discussions unique is because it's not just uniform across the board. Although, I will say that, generally speaking, our reviews, our ratings are not super different. It's just, I think, our our overall opinions of what's happening in the titles or the overall opinions of what happens in the overall story arc, which we don't individually rate because we're rating these individual issues. So, Well, too, and I think we're very good at this, as I toot our own horn for a moment. I think we're good at the rationale of the difference between knowing that a story is poorly constructed versus I just don't particularly like it, right? Like, yeah. I don't think the Tom King stories that he's wrote with Superman and Batman are poorly wrote. I just don't like them. You know what I'm saying? Like, and there's a huge yeah. difference between slagging off something going, oh, it's just junk. This is not junk. Sometimes stuff just isn't, doesn't fit one of our personalities. And that's fine. You know? Yeah, and I think that's the case because, like, Scott Snyder stuff, very well written, but I don't always appreciate what he's trying to do. Sure. Unlike yep. Ed, who, I mean, he, he loves what he does. Yes. But, I mean, like, there's, there's a point where you can recognize that somebody is doing a really good job of writing without making the character that you appreciate sure. really, really great. Sure, sure, sure. All right, so our last comment comes from Jessica. I'll just start by saying that... Ca oh, my gosh. Okay, you and me will have words, Jessica. Wait, wait, wait. Let's let's give this uh, a little bit of a preface. So if you <laughs> don't follow Stella on Twitter, uh -huh. and you don't follow Clinton, who is currently our merchandise news reporter on the site, he also runs his own blog, in, appropriately An called... Coffee and Comics. But you don't know Ange, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Coffee and Comics. And uh, for the last, I want to say, uh, what is it, a month? Month? Yeah, at least. <laughs> it's been a it month. It feels like a month, yeah. maybe longer. Yeah. It feels, Me so too. they have basically been telling Stella that she needs to drink coffee because it'll make her life yeah. better. It's fact. And she is, yeah. she is adamantly against that. I am. People, you listen to me on this show. Do you think I need to be hyped up on caffeine? Do you remember that 
that one episode when Joe was still on here and I was sick and for whatever reason I was just like crazy. I didn't have anything in my body. So it, just imagine that on caffeine. But anyways, I think Jessica at one point posted that she was coming back on the airport and had downed a, a, an absurd amount of coffee. And so I basically shamed her. So this is where this is coming from too. But yeah, p- basically people are attacking me about the coffee with images yeah, about coffee. About yes. That. So now I have to defend myself daily so that's basically what my twitter feed has become so anyways from jessica i'll just start by saying that caffeine is your friend so embrace it no i think not micro naps not as much what do you mean i love my 20 minute naps they will murder your capacity (laughs) straight okay as someone who once went overboard with the whole no sleep blowing caffeine thing and ended up well slightly overdosing on the damn thing i do agree that tim reaching a breaking point due to burnout might make an interesting plot point so basically, Tim's story is, is uh, Jessica's little bio, biography, I guess, in uh, Detective Comics. As predicted, I did love the episode. Ed, I'm sorry to say, you I are am. a bit lonely on that field. But at the same <laughs> time, I did, <laughs> I did find issue number 36 a tad boring. But again, those interpersonal stories are what King is good at. Short one or two issues arc, story arcs, heavy with emotion. I'm glad his Batman is finally steering towards that. As of now, Batman and Nightwing are back on my top titles, with Detective losing a few positions. Tynion has been losing steam. I know we've only gotten to read two issues of Humphreys and Chang, but the tone they set was absolutely on point, in my opinion. And I'm already more invested in the new support characters than I was on Sean and the... I can't even remember what the name of the group was. Also, (laughs) Raptor, the self-proclaimed arch-nemesis, who will never be the arch-nemesis, because he was built with all of the wrong motivations. Yes, so if you have not been reading Nightwing, Nightwing uh, has, has actually been really, really good. Um, and that's not saying that Tim Seeley did a poor job. Uh, I think it was just an average. I think across the board, I think we all disliked Raptor as a villain um, and his reasons. And then the whole Sean thing, how we had to jump uh, six months into the future yeah. to make it seem like their relationship was something more than what was actually being shown. And then the whole pregnancy scare, I think that whole thing was a little bit excessive. Not, that's a very nice Raptor, way of putting he, it. Excessive. Nice. Very yes. polite. Raptor in general, I think, was the worst part of the run, honestly. I felt like there was too much of a push to try to make that character something that it really wasn't. But if you have read Nightwing over the past two issues, it's pretty interesting. They basically, in some ways, not not that they're negating anything that's previously happened in the series, but they're adjusting and kind of like starting fresh. He's got a new job. They're focusing on a little bit more characters, supporting characters that haven't been introduced before. They're interesting. It's not like, here's a bunch of random villains. And the group she was referring to is called was called The Runoffs. And it was basically a bunch of characters who at some point were like the equivalent of like misdemeanor villains. They weren't like big time villains. They did stupid things. Sean's uh, I mean, that's the best way to put it. Sean's uh, Sean's code name was the Defacer because she got arrested for graffitiing. I mean, like Ed calls right. her the Depancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's one thing we'll never have to worry about hearing again. Um, yeah. But the but I think that if, if you have if you haven't read Nightwing because you gave up on it, definitely give it a shot again. It's some good stuff. Classic classic comic stories, and it'll be interesting to see where they go from. The, with the direction that they're going, 
because it's interesting. So leave it at that. Yeah, I am. I am found that I am definitely alone out in that field. But I am not alone in that field. I have a hot cup of coffee with me, so I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> and you're all sick. Okay, here we go. Before this turns into a civil war between right, the comic cast. I'm going to wrap it up there and say that if you have any comments that you'd like to leave for us to read on the next episode, be sure to head over to the website. And under the podcast post, there is a nice little place for you to post your comments. If you post immediate questions, I've been trying my best to respond to immediate questions that are smaller and things like that, knowing that we won't always be able to get to everybody's comments. So you can interact directly with me if you're interested in that. I don't know how many people want to interact with me, but it's there if you want it. Aww. So, that being said, head over to the website for all this news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. And be sure to check us out on iTunes and leave us reviews. Those are always greatly appreciated. And the other thing I guess I, I want to pose to our listeners if you are listening to this episode, I would like to know where you are listening to the episode. So if you can take Ooh. two seconds to head over to the site and just post in the comment section, you know, hey, I'm listening to this on Stitcher. Oh, I think where? Like in my on, car, uh, in my bedroom? Yeah, it's no. like, I'm on yeah, my I'm run in, right well, now. Well, if you want to give me that information, too, that wouldn't be... I wouldn't be opposed to hearing how, how, you, how you listen to product. us or... Yeah, how you consume our Ooh, podcast. Nom, nom, nom. Um, but basically, like, I, I'm curious to know where everybody... I mean, I know the vast majority of people come from iTunes because that's where we always were from the very beginning. But I know that people have asked about Google Play in the past, and I know and I know we're on Google Play because I made sure we were, and we're on Stitcher, and I put the episodes out on YouTube now. So I'm curious to know how you are consuming, where you're consuming... If you're just listening direct, directly from the site, because you have the, the MP3 player there on the site, if you're doing a direct download, and of course, I guess if you want to tell us how you listen to it, I know in the past, I know Stella has had some people who have said on Twitter that they listen to her podcast while they go for their, their run, but I guess they're running a really, really long time because Stella's podcasts are a heck of a lot longer oh than ours. Gosh. From you? This is coming from you? It lasts them multiple runs. Or they could just run a half marathon. Just listen to it 30 minutes at a time. I, I'll, I'll just say this, okay? You know, I haven't <laughs> gone running in many, many years. But when I did go running, I would never run for two, three, four hours at a time. Uh, oh, saying. my gosh. Like, maybe an from hour and a half at the max. That would be about the longest. Yeah, but, I mean, you might today. run 30 minutes a day, oh which means, sure. you know... You could. It would take you, you about a week and a half to finish one. Well, see, yeah, that's fine. They go if that they come out every two said. weeks. It's perfect. Every that's month. No, that's, they that's that's yeah, they only yeah, come out every once two a month, weeks. and that's probably why. I hope so yeah, they, don't put the pressure. Yes, on. she she comes out once a month because that's probably why. Because there people have specials. to have time in between episodes to actually be able to listen to the full episode. We're not we're not exactly slim and trim here yes. either. Like yeah, see. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Yeah, I know. We are slim and, we are slim and trim compared to practically every other podcast on the site right now. Just saying. I think Bat Books for Beginners is the only sh the only podcast that's actually shorter than us at this point. That's just because they're focusing on a short story arc and that's that's it. I mean, yes. But anyway, be sure to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer because 
if you feel like an hour and a half is is too little of a time to listen, hey, we've got tons of other things out there for you guys to listen to. There's some new commentaries I've released. Backroll Oracle will surely have a three-hour episode in the next couple of weeks that you'll be able to listen to. No, it will. I'm by myself, so it'll be under two tidy, hours. Okay. A tidy 245. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah. She's promising you. She's promising <laughs> you that. Obviously, there's new bat books for beginners. January is, in fact, another five Wednesday months, so we'll have an extra week in between the end of the month. We'll get to that when that happens. But there is a we're, we're planning on doing not an extra bat books for beginners, but an extra comic cast actually coming out, which will deal with a recent story arc or mini series per se that has recently come out that we promised we that's were going to That's called a tease and we for those haven't. in the industry. So that is happening. I'm not going to tell you which one because we haven't officially nailed that and down. Told us but yet. it will happen. So one of those episodes is coming at the end of the month. So be, month be of January? That, the end of January, correct. Not Well, it'll be like the first Friday of February, I think. It's when it'll actually release. Yeah, the first Friday of February. But yes, that is coming at the very end of the month, beginning of February. So that all being said, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. This is Ray from Nowhere. And you have been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. And I and I failed to say this last time, but I hope everybody had a very, very good holiday and a yeah. happy new yeah. year.